Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Games We Love podcast. I'm your host, Aaron White, and you are listening to the show that promotes positive gaming discussion, featuring interviews and conversations with passionate gamers, including journalists, developers, podcasters, streamers, critics, and other diehard video game fans about a personal favorite game they love. In this episode of the podcast, I'm joined by YouTube film critic, longtime gamer, and my friend, Jeremy Johns. Welcome, brother. I gotta say, that was the most positive intro I think I've ever heard. <laughs> Whoa, all right. That you're, is you're a really positive guy. I liked it a lot. I, it was a, it was this, hey, positive game discussion, and I'm all about that, and you know that. And, uh, you know, people don't know that we get really, uh, we get, we talk games at these screenings. No, they don't. You know, like, <laughs> I mean, we, we talk games hardcore. Um, yeah. Yep, uh, yeah. It's easy for people to be like, oh, the movie guy. It's like, no, 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 we're game, we're game people, and then we're movie people, I suppose. <laughs> right. We, uh, movies are kind of like what we both started doing first, or got, I guess I don't want to say got famous from. You're more famous than I am, obviously, but like, but it's what we do to quote unquote pay the bills or ex- exercise our creative outlets for the most part. But both of us, if given the choice, would just sit in a dark room and play a video game. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what I've been doing for the past two months. It's all a blur at this point. But uh, oh, yeah, man. Just, uh, sitting there and just getting your, uh, especially going back to the old games, it's kind of fun to see what still plays well and what doesn't play as well and what games crush you that you used to be able to just blast through on, on one life. And now the game just owns you because you've gotten soft on modern gaming. <laughs> Yeah, it is pretty surprising when you start to look at modern games, how we have become desensitized to difficulty. And and yet we think that From Software and the Dark Souls games are the hardest thing ever created. And yet you try to go back and play something from the 90s and it will just dominate your soul, even though it's Mario Brothers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and you're right. like, what the heck? <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah, like a, a good Mega Man game, you know? It's like even uh, you can't have any latency when you're playing those Mega Man games. you got to be pixel perfect jumping across some of those platforms that disappear. Um, absolutely. One of my yeah, one of my future guests actually picked Mega Man for his game to talk about on the podcast, and I was so upset. I was like, no, because that means I have to try and play some of it to kind of get myself <laughs> prepped. I was like, no, no, no. I was like, maybe you're talking about the remakes, right? And he's like, oh, no, we're going old school. And I was like, oh, oh wow. Does that I'm mean honest. you have to play the remake without the rewind feature? Oh, no, no. That the would be the remake has the rewind feature, which makes it incredibly – I mean, I'm glad that it's it's more accessible and playable – but it kind of does show what you were just talking about, where it's like they had to put this rewind feature in there. So if you make a mistake, you can just redo it and not replay the level. Whereas like, oh, gee, back mm-hmm. in the day, we just had to bite a stick and know that we had to replay the level. It makes you wonder, like, is a game really the same game if you take away the difficulty of it? If you make it that accessible and that easy, is it the same game at that point? No, it's a different. Well, it's, it's it's a different experience of the game. It's kind of like Fire Emblem because, oh, like you know, like we, we both we both <laughs> yes. got to uh, f- um, Fire Emblem. I was into Fire Emblem. People yes, really don't know the story. I got into it because See, of you, thankfully. Yeah, I was like, dude, you have to play Fire Emblem Three Houses. Like, you have to. It's the best. You have to. And so we both drowned insane amount of hours into this game. But if you play Fire Emblem. On the mode where your your dead characters come back after the battle and they don't stay dead, it's a different tactic than knowing that when they die, they're dead for good. Like you play, you fundamentally play Fire Emblem differently if you play on the original mode where they it's permadeath. Yep, it's 100% different. And yeah. the attachment to them, it, it creates an entirely different emotional experience with characters that you're falling in love with over 80 hours. Right, and you do actually have a rewind feature in Fire Emblem Three Houses too, but it is a finite amount of rewinds that you can do per battle. Um, so there is that, but but even then, again, you go back to old Fire Emblem games, there was no rewind feature. You no. just people who died, they were they were worm food. Now they just <sighs> died and just have to deal with the fact that they're dead. That you killed yeah, them. You're yeah, responsible yeah, for it. They're dead because you were a bad leader. <laughs> You were it's like a that. Bad it's like that Top Gun quote, right? Where 
um, we'd like to inform you that your sons are dead because they were stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And there's no other way to say it. It's like, that's what I love about games like that is that it's just, it's all tactic. And if you lose, it was because you didn't optimize your skills as a tactician. Which I, I enjoy the fact that it's like, I mean, there are a couple of cheap shots that games will do that absolutely, because there's still that variance of like, okay, 98% hit ratio and my guy missed. It's like, okay, why did he miss? <laughs> you know, that's 98%. I would have put all of my money on that. Mm-hmm. But there, but still, like, like a good game of chess, though chess is like the, the, the greatest uh, tabletop game of all time. Um, like a game of chess, it really it reflects on you as to how you play, and uh, you really have yourself to blame for your losses more than you have other things. I like I, enjoy the, that. I like being able to blame the game personally. <laughs> <laughs> I used to think when I was a kid, I used to think like when when I was playing Mortal Kombat and I was just getting creamed by the computer, I used to think that somebody at Nintendo was jacking into my game. And just like really cheaply beating me. I'm like, this is BS. <laughs> I, was just, I had all these weird conspiracy theories about it. And I look back and I'm like, well, that's ridiculous. That that's was pretty just, funny. What can I say? A kid just needs to blame someone else. It does. It reminds me of a story. I have two really close guy friends who I do gaming weekends with occasionally. Uh, on like a, we used to do them on a monthly basis. And one of them was playing Geometry Wars 3, I think. I can't remember. But he was going for high scores and achievements and... He was at this point where he had to beat ghosts, essentially, and they were named after the developers. And so one of them was named Phil, and he could, like, he's really good at the game, but he could not beat this ghost character, Phil, that he was trying to beat his high score. And so me and my other buddy just have razzed him about it, like, hardcore for years. We'll be like, well, Phil gotcha, Phil gotcha, (laughs) you know, like, and it's, it's just some developer who was playing the game, sitting at Microsoft when he was creating it or whatever, and he got this great run and they recorded it. And it's so fun to think about, like you're playing against those guys. Oh, that's, oh, okay. For a second there, I was like, I kind of didn't understand what you were saying until, okay. So he had to beat the high score of these devs. Yeah. So like Mario Kart, you know how they have the ghosts or whatever. It's like that. So one of the devs just had the greatest run of all time. Oh, that's brutal. I mean, you can tell, though, like when you jack into Mortal Kombat, like Mortal Kombat 11 or something, and you see these insane scores and you're like, that's a developer, <laughs> you know, like, which is great because I hear those guys actually like log on and play with people uh, once so in a cool. while. And so, I mean, I mean, you see these guys play at conventions. So, I mean, these I mean, they're crazy. Like they, they know stuff about the game. Safe to say that we don't, which uh, yeah, it's fun stuff because uh there was this one story where I think it was an interview I saw where Ed Boone was talking about they went into the arcade after Mortal Kombat was released. It might have been Mortal Kombat two. And uh it he was like they were pulling stuff off that we didn't even know we put in the game. Like combos, they were linking things in the game that they were like, Oh, I guess you can link those two moves. So it's kind of funny that even like gamers and their hardcore nature of just searching and the fun of finding what links i suppose there's an incentive there to uh to find everything whereas the developers going through looking for okay we're looking for bugs and whatnot i don't know the mindset behind it but it is kind of neat to think that fans find things more than um developers do yeah no i i agree that is pretty freaking wild that you could not know everything about your game <laughs> when you put it out. <laughs> right. But it does make sense but in it a does. weird way. Like, you kind of take it for granted. Like, okay, well, these moves work. And then fans are like, yeah, but you can link these things. And then you could really destroy lives. It's awesome. Well, let's get into this. Uh, I mean, I guess we already are into this. But let's, <laughs> we're so, people are learning about your gaming history right now as we've been talking. But I did want to kind of start by asking you when you started gaming, I guess. Going all the way back. Like, when oh. did you fall in love with this as a hobby? Um, well, my this is pre-Nintendo. I'm going to show my age for a second. But we had the Commodore 64. And uh, I just, that was our family gaming center. And I played Commodore 64. In fact, I would argue, like, the OG Bioware 
type game, you know, where a uh, Mass Effect, you can choose dialogue and influence decisions. There was one for the Commodore 64 called Law of the West, and you were the sheriff, and just the V was just this, it was at his hip holster, so you could draw your gun and shoot if you wanted to. And people would come out, it was like a series of 10 characters, they would come out, and you would talk to them, and you could pick a fight with them, you could get information from them, you could take them to jail if they were criminals, you can find out who's robbing the stagecoach. And it's like, I look at any Mass Effect game or anything of that nature, and it, for me, it always goes back to Law of the West. That was the first game like that. And then uh, after that, we visited my uncle and my cousin in Arizona, and they had this new crazy system called the Nintendo, the <laughs> NES. And I played Super Mario Brothers, and I was just, I, I was terrible at it, but I was hooked. And then after that, my parents were like, we, I guess we have to get them that for Christmas. Oh, my God. And so they got us uh, the Nintendo, and from there, it just exponentially grew. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. That's very similar to my own history with the, because Nintendo was sort of my first major, major console. And I just, I remember being grounded so many times because I didn't do chores or I wouldn't huh? get off the daggum Nintendo. <laughs> Just sit in the living room floor, and I was like, "One more run, Dad! I need to beat this level." Yeah, I uh, I remember my parents were like, "It's time to eat." I was in stage nine. I was in Ganon. Check this story out. This is true brother brother rivalry right here. This is what brothers did, and I love my brother to death. And and we're we're amazingly close, you know. Like, but when you're kids, there's always that sibling rivalry that happens. So. When we were kids, it was time to eat. Like, Jeremy, it's time to eat. I'm like, hold on. I'm at I'm at Ganon's Fortress. I'm in level nine of The Legend of Zelda. And I go, and I'm, I'm at Ganon now. And my mom's like, it's time to get off the Nintendo. I'm like, I one minute, I swear. And so I'm fighting Ganon. And then he turns red. And I push start to, to get the silver arrow to shoot him and kill him. You just All you have to do is you just have to do that once. And if you push, I think it's select and B or up and select or up and B on the second player controller, it'll snap you to the game over screen so you can save or quit. And my brother did that on the second player controller oh. when I menu to select uh, the arrow. He was like, bam. And it was just this moment where I'm like, I think I'm going to kill a brother today. Like, I think I'm going to murder my brother. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, apparently oh. I got over it, but yeah, yeah apparently. That, that was a move. Yeah, those those are brutal moments back in the day without uh, <laughs> games without auto saves. Like, oh, what was that world? Yeah, again, it's like we were talking about where it's like, yeah, games now have auto save and it'll start you out halfway through the dungeons. Like, no, you start out at the beginning. You got to go back through Ganon's fortress. I suppose I could have clicked continue and it starts you at the beginning of his fortress with three hearts, which is not nearly enough. But yeah, man, that was brutal. Well, you are, you know, primarily known as a movie critic, and you have this awesomely successful YouTube channel, Watch My Millions, but you also drop game reviews there, and trailer reviews, and just all kinds of stuff, but specifically your gaming reviews, and I wonder, like, how did you get started reviewing movies, and what makes you drop your games reviews in there as well? Um, well, movies, I, it was just a simple case of, I was a projectionist at a movie theater. My friends and I talked movies all the time. So I was like, well, I'm going to talk movies. And I didn't like Transformers Revenge of the Fallen. And I was like, I think raging out on um, that movie is a, is a nice start to doing things on this YouTube thing. And so I just it started with Transformers Revenge of the Fallen. And basically, I wanted to roast movies like the Comedy Central roast. I just wanted to roast bad movies, you know. And so, and then you get to the point where you're like, well, I want to talk about movies I like too. And so that kind of became the norm, a weekly thing. And then uh, game reviews I'll do uh, intermittently, I suppose, once in a while, because g movies, I can watch a bad movie because what, two hours in and out, you're done. But yep. games, if you, if you lock into a bad game, you're there for a lot longer than two hours. And so I usually play games if I feel like I'm going to like it or it's a game I'm looking forward to. So usually my game reviews are generally more positive because I just try not to play bad games, it, it, which is the good thing that it, it doesn't game reviews don't feel like a sense of obligation for me. It's more just fun. And uh, that's 
you know, you touched on, I'll talk about trailers and I'll, I'll talk about the trailers I want to talk about. And it's just, I try to keep my YouTube channel to things I have fun with um, in one way, shape or form. So it doesn't feel like a job, you know, you got to keep it from feeling like work. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And I think it, it can be difficult in the movie critic world or games criticism, any kind of that type of um, career where when you don't like the material, it just wears you down. Like you, it's harder to write about or talk about or podcast about. You're just like, I don't know what to say. Cause I just sound like I'm being really mean over and over again. <laughs> right. It's a, I, and I suppose that's the, that's the hit that movies have taken, you know, where it's just like, okay, well, I, I suppose I have to talk about movies I don't like, and I have to even watch the bad ones regularly on a weekly basis. Um, so in a world where something has to be that I would rather just games not be that. So movies get to take that hit, but not games as much. Well, I love that. I keep keep them pure, keep them fun. Have you had any cool like sponsorship related moments with games? I know you've done some some neat movie partnerships before, but have you ever got to do any like events or anything game related because of your yeah. YouTube success? Yeah. Um. So um. I don't know how this contact came to me but it's basically with mortal kombat x my first interaction with netherrealm studios was with uh, mortal kombat x and wb games was like hey we do you want to come to chicago to the uh, netherrealm headquarters and have a tour and we're doing a mortal kombat x thing i was like sure so it i mean the netherrealm studios tour was the coolest part of all of it i mean playing the game early was neat but seeing all the props and all the material and the Garo head from the movie and uh, the Garo and the Garo Kintaro and Motaro figures that they used in the game, <clears throat> seeing the devs work on things like Angry Joe and I were like trying to rubberneck over to like other people's computers. Like, what are they working on? And we actually in passing got a glimpse of the uh, the mummified the mummy Ermac for Mortal Kombat X, the skin. Before it was even out, we're like, I think that's Ermac. And like, you know, and then uh, there was this other room. They were like, oh, hold on. And they peeked their head and they're like, oh, you can't go in there yet. And we were like, is it Injustice 2? And they were like, <laughs> can't go in there. And so it was like, that was hands down the coolest thing. And then ever since then, it's like for uh, NetherRealm games, um, I tend to get things for them and from them where it's like, you know, we oh, we're, ha we're having an event for Injustice 2. I'm like, sweet, I'll be there. Because I'm just a fan of those NetherRealm fighting games. I think back in the day, especially for Mortal Kombat, in a world where a lot of fighting games were just kind of, oh, tournament-based. This was like, yeah, it's tournaments, but it has gods and sorcerers and things like that. It was just kind of, for me, changed how I viewed fighting games. So I'm just kind of very attached to, uh, I suppose, Mortal Kombat and Ed Boon's work in general. Oh, that's awesome. What a cool experience. I, I remember when you were having it, just seeing you geek out about it was <laughs> uh, like, it's in, infectious, you know, like when you get that excited about something. And I'm sure that's why they reached out to you, because they know that you love those things. And so the best press is going to come from people who really, truly are passionate about, which is why this podcast exists, is to have people talk about the games that they're passionate about, because that's what gets people excited. Yeah, and you gotta you gotta keep your head screwed on though, you know, because like there are a lot of uh, there there's something called the rule of reciprocation, where it's like if someone gives you a freebie, you feel obligated to give them a freebie back. That's why you get free samples in the uh, in the cafeteria at your local <laughs> mall. It's oh. just like a psychological. It's a piece of psychological play, and so in things like this, I always have to be like, okay, just keep your head on and be like, if the game sucks, you still have to say what you don't like about it you know and so uh, but it is undeniably fun to uh you know to go to these events and you know the mk11 event was a lot of fun i mean just seeing things that you know people haven't seen yet it's kind of the feeling i always got at pax uh when i would go to pax every year and it's just like no one's seen this game yet this is awesome and uh that was the first time i, I met ed boone actually i was like i had like 10,000 subscribers and I just ran into him and I was like, can I interview you like right now? And his team was like, you can't do that. No, he's a busy guy. And Ed Boone was like, it's cool. And so he, he let me interview him. And it was like he was super cool about it. And I was oh, like, that, awesome. like, that was an amazing moment that this person 
I had like been such a fan of his work, just like stopped what he was doing just to let this YouTube guy interview him. You know, that was just that was really cool. I appreciated that. Oh, yeah, definitely. I I found a lot of people in the games industry are very approachable, especially Mm -hmm. as compared to people in the movie industry. Having having tried to get interviews for both, (laughs) one has been massively more successful than the other. (laughs) Yeah. And like you can just tell they're just probably like, yeah, we were just nerd storytellers who just wanted to tell fun stories and make games and we grew up on games too and yeah in in the hollywood scene i mean i only lived in that area for a year um i went down there knowing i would live there for a year knowing that a year is about the most i could possibly spend in that town before going mad but there is a sense of everyone always knew everyone and and there's this form of i don't want to say nepotism but like people grew up in that town because their parents were in that town and they worked in that town. So it's just like, it's a different kind of bubble, I suppose. And, uh, and I suppose the gaming industry has that too, but you see it a lot more if I'm making an observation in the movie industry than the game industry. Yeah. You've mentioned fighting games. Are there any other favorite genres or consoles from your life history that you remember the most fondly? Like what are some <laughs> of your gaming habits? Uh, well, Super Nintendo, I think, is the it's my favorite console of all time. Good choice. Um, yeah, and uh, when Super Nintendo was out, it was around the end of the Super Nintendo going into PlayStation. I was a big fighting game and first-person shooter kid. And my brother was the RPG guy, and I always thought RPGs just looked like the most boring thing ever. I was like, well, you, you go back and forth, and they don't even look like they're hitting the other characters. He was playing Final Fantasy III slash six at the time and i was like this doesn't even look remotely engaging this is stupid then i played chrono trigger and i was like what have i been missing all this time and then i went back and played final fantasy six and i was like what have i been missing all this time and so that opened my eyes to rpgs and so there's 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 enjoyment in i think all genres of games just all about execution and how the devs do it and uh, so I, I can name some first-person shooters that are just like some of the greatest games, but also RPGs, fighting games, action games. It's, it's just, it all depends on execution. I suppose they all have that. But the thing that locks me in most, I will always take a good story over a solid fighting mechanic in an adventure game, you know, like the game we're probably going to talk about. Yeah, um, yep. it's all about the lore and the story over the uh, the the going through and smashing people up. Yep, I'm right there with you. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, I I agree with you wholeheartedly. There, you know, Final Fantasy VI is among my probably top three biggest gaming blind spots. I still have not played oh, slash really? three, whatever, whatever you want to call it. But yeah, I yeah. haven't played it. And I actually was looking at it, thinking about, you know, maybe I should play that at some point this year. Maybe I should put that on my list or something. But it's, I think you can, you can't get it except on the SNS Mini. It's there. I don't know where else you can. I guess you can play it on mobile platforms now, maybe. But those, those editions seem to be changed. They just, they did changed it for Chrono Trigger. I need them to put it out on the Dadgum Nintendo Switch where it needs to be. Well, Aaron, you can play it. You just need to get a Super Nintendo. And oh, the yeah, well, <laughs> there's that too. I guess I could do it that way. I I always lament that I did not keep all my retro consoles. I feel really bad about it because these days I would love to have them all. And of course, it's a good point. Yeah, my brother, he uh, I, I was just at his place recently. Yeah, God, recently enough. And I was like, dude, do you have all your old retro stuff? And he brought down all I mean, he has all the games from our childhood in the boxes. And the boxes are in insane shape. He was that collector. He just kept all the boxes and didn't mess with them. And uh, good on him because that's some that's some eBay gold right there. But I mean, we're talking like Chrono Trigger, Final Fantasy three, um, UN Squadron, Legend of Zelda: Link to the Past, Super Metroid. I mean, just some crazy stuff. That I mean, just iconic games. But yeah, um, the 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 wii they had it on the wii but the wii virtual console shut down now uh which is a bummer but i agree they should port it to the switch uh the game boy advance 
that's actually a leg- that's a good version to play because you have a run button. You know, it's like Ooh, you get yes. the running shoes in the original SNES game, and that makes you run faster. But now in the uh, Game Boy Advance, it's like you have a run button, so you can just move faster, which helps. <laughs> it really does help. Oh yeah, I've been playing through Halo with my friends, and when we were on Halo Three, I was it was awful. We got to Halo Four, and I could sprint. Oh, I was like. Thank you, heavens, for oh, allowing... Yeah. Like, those first-person games didn't always have a sprint button. No, terrible. Absolutely <laughs> terrible. I, I don't know how. I just don't know how. Looking back, it makes me wonder. I'm like, how did a sprint button never cross people's mind in for 20 <laughs> years or whatever of gaming history? It's, come on. Right, because those uh, because now usually it's a you push in the stick, and it, that usually it, it, it makes you That's sprint. That's true. And yes. uh, those sticks pressed in for as long as i can remember like i think ps2 the analog controller you can press it in and the l3 and r3 buttons existed they just didn't really call it that i don't think they knew what to call it so the action could have happened it just yeah it didn't i guess we didn't feel like we needed it until we had it now that we have it we're like how did we ever play it before can't imagine life without it well, before we get to our main attraction game here, I wanted to ask if you have any recent gaming shout-outs. That's what I like to call this. So, favorite experiences in the last six months? Okay. All right, so six months specifically. Um, okay. uh, you know, around there, whatever. Something right, that well, you've played I mean, in the last six months or so. In, in brushing up for our main attraction, I played through the entirety of the first game in our main attraction. Um, OG. But my main thing is now that, I mean, quarantine spiked up and I was like, oh, what to do? So I actually just put together my retro game room. I mean, we're talking it has two PVMs that I actually got at a really good price. One of the PVM is a professional video monitor for people who don't know. And they do uh, RGB in, which is um, the best analog signal you can get and super nintendo and sega genesis both output that we just never got to use it um so you get a pvm i got one for 200 bucks it's a 19 inch which is an insane price and uh, the person on ebay packed it really well so no damage the other one i got from my favorite retro game store up here in the pacific northwest oh am i allowed to give him a shout out oh absolutely oh it's a great store it's a game bound video games Yep. Uh, in Renton. And it's a, in, when he reopened his store, he had this PVM, which only does S video, but he was like, I got it from Toys R Us when they went out of business. You can have it for 30 bucks. And I was like, okay, <laughs> I'll buy that for 30 bucks. And so in my retro game room, I have my, uh, my one up arcade cabinets, which is Mortal Kombat and the Ninja Turtles games with the original N Turtles in time. And then I have the PVM with, everything hooked up to it that does rgb in and uh, component in and then i have my other uh pvm that does s video and i have a ps3 hooked onto that so i can just play uh blu-rays and dvds and just watch movies or whatever stream whatever i want to stream uh so you know displaying all the old games and displaying all the old boxes while i'm playing like old ninja gaiden which is a crushingly difficult game but Ninja Gaiden 2 is so wrapped up in my nostalgic childhood with my friend and I. We used to play that game all the time, which is funny, like we talked about earlier. Going back to those old games, you realize how much better you were at games back in the day. But uh, really, it's setting up the retro game room. Is my, it's been my favorite experience. I spend more time there than I do my living room now. Well, I don't doubt it. I was seeing this thing in a video you sent me before we got on tonight to record and it's amazing folks listeners i and the way he's describing it does not do it justice it looks like my animal crossing game room but you know it's a lot better a lot easier to create that in animal crossing than it is in real life but it's got the dark lighting it's almost it's almost like a black lighting scenario that you've got in there and it is amazing and when i saw that turtles in time cabinet i was just geeking out because that's the one it's, I put the most quarters into. And I was like, that is so awesome. It's so good. Turtles in Time is the greatest smash em up hack and slash game of all time. That's why people are like, oh, Final Fight, this and that. I'm like, yeah, but I always had Turtles in Time. And Turtles in Time for me was so much more engaging because it was the turtles and you're fighting the foot and, and you're going against bosses you're nostalgically linked to to your childhood. So, I mean, once I had Turtles in Time, I didn't need another game of that genre like ever. I mean, there were some greats out there for sure. The Turtles in Time is always the best for me. 
Um, so how, how do these cabinets work? Do they, I'm assuming you don't have to put quarters in them, obviously, but no. do, is there a way to lose the game or can you just infinitely continue until you win? No, 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 you can infinitely continue. It's a, uh, I okay. mean, just, yeah, push the button and, but it, I mean, I tell you what, when you, when you push that button and you see the turtle come up and he goes, let's kick shell. You're like, oh, it's like I'm in the arcade from when I was a kid. Uh, but yeah, it has the original, like each of these one-up arcade cabinets come with a couple, if not a few games. So the Ninja Turtles comes with the original arcade game and Turtles in Time. Mortal Kombat comes with Mortal Kombat 1, 2, and Ultimate Mortal Kombat 3. And uh, I, I feel like with those, I mean, they're a couple. I, w- I would like Marvel vs. Capcom 2 if they ever do it, but uh, they, that's whether or not they'll do it. What gives it that blue lighting also is the uh, PlayStation 2 Neon I have in the uh, the retro game room. Uh, that I uh, got from uh, from my friend who worked at GameStop back in the day, and so it's an official one. It's fun, man. It's good stuff. I love retro gaming so much. That's why people are like, you need to beat Red Dead Redemption too, and I know I do. And my friend hopped back on. It's just such a dauntingly long game, and I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, but I can just go right into this old game, and I can just relive something, <laughs> you know. And it's like it, it it brings me some some sense of peace, you know. It brings mm-hmm. me a calm. Uh, that only comes from retro gaming for me. It's just, it's kind of like I, it's a weird analogy, but I feel like I'm a dog in a kennel when I'm in my retro game room. I'm in this like weird cave that just feels, you know, peaceful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, I don't, I, I don't want to, I don't want to sound too weird about it, but it's just like, I just like being in that room. That's awesome. It's very, very cool. Well, uh, the game I was going to mention uh, is one that I played recently is not a retro game by any stretch of the imagination. And it's kind of weird, honestly. It's called Stick Bold, a dodgeball adventure. And Stick Bold, S-T-I-K-B-O-L-D. So it's like a weird spelling of the word stickball, which I don't know why, because dodgeball, I don't know. It does stickball, there's no sticks involved. Anyway, so the way that this came about is my kids were over, my daughter, who's uh, old enough now that she's got a job, so she's been working like all day on the weekends, and so I've spent a lot of time with my son, who's a teenager. And if it was up to him, he would just leave the room, come to my computer, and play Fortnite and Rocket League with his friends, and I would just sit by myself. And I'm like, well, you're here, let's hang out. What can we play together? And I've been into this platinum trophy hunting thing. Yeah, last... I noticed on your yeah. Instagram. And so I was like, okay, well, what am I going to do? I'm going to, let's, let's flip through PlayStation now and see if PlayStation now has gotten better. It has gotten a lot better. And one of the random games was this stick bold game. And my son popped up. He's like, oh, hey, I've heard of that. You know, my friends have talked about that. And it looks terrible, Jeremy. It's like a $5 game. You know, (laughs) one of those, one of those little indie dinkers that nobody buys. They're just like, they're all over the eShop, you know, um, developers first try kind of type deals. And so we watched the video of it, and it was terrible looking. It, it was like Minecraft dodgeball, is what it kind of, but it goofy as can be. And so I made him a deal that we would go ahead and try it out because it was on PlayStation Now, since I could get it for free. So I did a free trial. I was like, let's let's just see what happens. Maybe it's an easy platinum. And it's this. It's described like this. It's described as a groovy '70s themed single and local multiplayer fantasy dodgeball game with intense quirky arenas and chaos inducing random events that change the outcome of each round. It is from a Danish developer called Game Swing. It is on every platform that you can imagine right now. And over the course of two sittings, two days, we 100%, well, I guess that's the wrong word. We 95%ed this game. We played through the entire story mode once on normal. Then we went through the entire story mode again on hard. And we did all of the simple little multiplayer trophies. And we got stuck at the very, very end. And we we got frustrated. We ran into that situation where the final battle in this game was so beyond difficult of anything else we'd done, on, even on hard mode, that we spent two hours trying to fight it. And if you've ever trophy hunted or tried to beat any game, and you just are losing over and over and over again at the end of a stage, the longer that that occurs, 
the less likely it feels like it's going to be for you to be successful. <laughs> like right. your frustration grows and your skill goes down and you start making stupid mistakes instead of, you know, getting more locked in. And so eventually we called it and we're going to go back and finish it. But I wanted to talk about it because I'm actually promoting this. <laughs> like this <laughs> was such a fun experience. I had no expectation going in other than my, I guess my expectation was actually that it was going to be terrible. So it was able to exceed those expectations. And essentially it's your little Minecraft people and there's this tiny little dot on the screen that is a dodgeball and you're throwing it at each other and when you knock someone out with it they go into like a really brief little like slow-mo kind of knockdown animation it's sort of ragdoll physics type of movement with the characters it's ridiculous amount of writing i mean it's so dumb there's a second place dodgeball team and a crazy coach who's mad because you aren't focused enough to get first place. And then the devil comes and gets involved and you end up <laughs> fighting the devil. Yeah. It's, it's very strange, very strange, but like some of the arenas you'll fight in a circular one. And for example, there'll be um, a random van that will drive around the outside of this arena at various times. And so if the van hits you, it knocks you out that kind of thing. So you'll kind of have to avoid different elements within the arena as well as actual playing dodgeball. And then it, it kind of goes back and forth between actual dodgeball matches, you versus other dodgeball opponents, and then some like boss fights. So there's like a boss fight where you're fighting this big satanic entity and all of these zombies that my son calls aimbots Cause they'll one, one shot kill you every time. They're super like <laughs> amazing. And, and it's just, it's crazy. It is wacky. It is insane. It reminded me of like platformer bosses because you'd kind of have to go through that three cycle where you have to do something three times or you have to do, you know, something, a certain task. And then it sort of gets increasing. You add on one little layer two more times uh, to get to a total of like a third time when you defeat the boss, he's really dead. And so it was it was a lot of fun. I couldn't believe it. We've had a blast. And other than not being able to get the freaking final mission beat or whatever the final level to get this platinum trophy yet we will we certainly will we are going to achieve it and we are going to celebrate like rock stars but <laughs> it's like free on playstation now and i couldn't recommend it more i think it's a blast it's, it's one of the few games out there that i felt like couch co-op is still alive you know they're just couch co-op is not a thing anymore that is focused on hardly ever outside of the indie game world but yeah, this was what we wanted, and it filled that gap perfectly. Yeah, that's a that's a fair assessment, honestly. I, I always I miss couch. You're right. Couch co-op is a thing where it's like, well, I mean, you can play online now, but it's different when you have another human in the room, and you have that kind of connection, and you're uh, you know you're working together to take out whoever it may be. Even if you're doing a one player game and you're taking turns, you know, like that's fun too. <laughs> like for my friends and I will do that with. Ninja Gaiden 2, Super Mario Brothers 2. How much is this game that you were talking about, uh, this dodgeball game? Oh, it's like four or five bucks on other platforms. It's five bucks? Uh, yeah, it's a four. It's less than five bucks. All right. Well, I mean, you know what I like is that you're pitching a game that's like, hey, it's five bucks. It's a couple cups of coffee. <laughs> like, it's, mine was like, It's hey, less than a cup of coffee here in Seattle where we live, Jeremy. <laughs> that's <laughs> fair. That's fair. Um, and I was like, hey. The thing I'll talk about is the most expensive endeavor retro gaming <laughs> you could possibly do. I feel like I should pitch an, uh, an indie game or something. Oh, no, no, no. That's totally okay. Uh, we, we're covering all the bases here today. <laughs> well, let's get into what I actually like to call the big one in my notes because I think it's fun. But this is the game you chose to talk about when I asked you what one of your favorite games was that you would be willing to discuss. And of course, in true Jeremy fashion, you didn't choose one game. You chose five. <laughs> I, I, I suppose that it is the legacy, right? <laughs> I did choose five games. Well, when you told me about it, when you said the legacy of Kane, I'll be honest, I didn't know anything about this whole series. I hadn't played anything. And I thought the legacy of Kane was a game. I thought it was one game. <laughs> I didn't know that it was this long running series. And so I guess we'll go into specific elements in more detail about what you think about the series, your favorite games, your favorite mechanics, all the story and all that stuff. But 
kind of at a base level, what made you choose this and why is the legacy of Kane special to you? Well, to be fair also, it's not really five games because you can skip Blood Omen 2. <laughs> <laughs> because everybody does. Um, well, I mean, Blood Omen, it all started out. I mean, I'll try not to take up too much time on it, but um, Blood Omen 1 um, got good reviews and it, it was all I heard was it was a vampire game. And I was like, oh, cool. It's like an overhead dungeon crawl vampire game. So I thought you were going to go around there killing vampires. And so you walk out of this bar and I'm like swinging like like I'm stuck in mud or something. I'm, I'm like, what the heck? These guys just beat me and kill me. And I'm like, all right, well, I guess I'm dead. And then this cutscene happens that turns you into a vampire. And I was like, oh, you mean I get to be the vampire? I thought I was going to kill vampires. And then after that, you're this. I don't he is not a protagonist. He's an antihero at best. An antagonist, possibly. The guy, I mean, am I allowed to curse on this? I don't uh, know if we I are, no? We're keeping it family-friendly. <laughs> family-friendly, okay. Well, the guy, is, the, the guy is not the friendliest human. He's not family-friendly. <laughs> He's um, not, so, no. Yeah, so, I mean, people are, like, chained to the wall, like, help me, I'm and you just drink their blood, and I'm like, well, I guess I just killed that person. And it just, it changed a lot of how I viewed games in the sense that I'm like, I'm now playing as someone who is not Link. You know, he's not the good guy. Also, the mythology was just insanely deep. I mean, whether it be with the Pillars of Nazgoth, um, the, all the characters involved, uh, Vorador was amazing. Mobius, throughout the series of Legacy of Cain, is just this Weasley manipulator. Uh, that you love to hate. I, I thought, Kate, well, also the voice acting, because this is coming out in the PS1 era, so this is not too long after Resident Evil 1 was like, I mean, have you heard the voice acting in the original Resident Evil 1? I have only because I was watching a video on Legacy of Kane and it someone showed it as an example oh, actually. It was so, <laughs> of what was something. bad. What is that? I'm yes. glad that someone showed it because that means they probably made the point that I'm making. Whereas yep. we're coming off of voice acting, which really wasn't acting. There were probably developers' friends that they got to uh, say lines in in a you know it, video games weren't taken that seriously as a form of acting or voice acting. Legacy of Kane was the first game where I was like, this is legit voice acting. This is the best voice acting I'd heard in a video game. And uh, that mixed with the dialogue. No one comes out of the Legacy of Kane series with, without expanding their vocabulary. Like, even in Soul Reaver 1, oh, you got br brought back from the precipice of madness. Like, <laughs> you didn't just get brought back from a pit. You didn't get brought back from a dark place. You got brought back from the precipice of madness. I learned what a precipice was from Soul Reaver 1. <laughs> I didn't know what a precipice was at that time. So all the voice acting, and this is just just in the first couple games. So the fact that it becomes this time-traveling story, which they do massage you into in the first game, and then Soul Reaver 1 makes this leap. Because at the, at the end of Blood Omen 1, you're given a choice to heal the world or destroy it and rule it. And at the beginning of Soul Reaver 1, it's like, it makes a choice for you. It's canonically, Cain chose to rule the world. And so the whole thing is really about fighting destiny and trying to move time in a way that's not just more conducive, which it is for Cain, so you feel like it might be more self-serving, but they... They go in deeper into the lore as to why he wants to do that. But the fighting fate storyline was just too intriguing for me. And the fact that you go into later games and you have connections to earlier games, it's this whole universe that really, this is what brought Amy Hennig to the forefront for me. I mean, I thought she was an amazing director before Uncharted. She got famous from Uncharted, but for me, it was always Legacy of Cain. And she remains to this day one of the most... I think, underrated and underutilized creative minds in video games. And I'm baffled that she didn't get to do that Star Wars game that she was supposed to do, and I still want to see what that would have been. Oh, me too. I It's it's kind of interesting that, you know, this is one of your favorite series of all times, and my favorite series of all time being Uncharted, and we're both 
we have the Amy Hennig tie there, and it's a huge <laughs> reason why. When I was researching the Legacy of Cain, learning about it, trying to play some of the games to get an idea of why you might love this, that did stand out. I felt very much like, okay, this is exactly what the formula of Uncharted is. Like, it's built on incredible voice acting and dialogue, and this story that persists throughout these different adventures and you know it's not quite as convoluted obviously it's not fantasy so they're very there are differences but you could absolutely see her touch and the dna of the legacy of kane series in the uncharted series i thought that was so cool when you told me that she was the guy i had no idea i didn't know about her history <laughs> but it totally makes sense yeah and you also see that with the puzzles because you know uncharted is heavily it heavily yes. involves puzzles and uh, Soul Reaver 2, and like we were just talking about, where it's like, I'll take a deep story over, let's say, uh, battle uh, battle mechanics and fight mechanics in, a, in an adventure game. And Soul Reaver 2 has no bosses. <laughs> you know, like Soul Reaver 2 has no bosses whatsoever. You just, it, it actually, it gets to the point where you do fight, quote, bosses, but it's not really a boss fight you know it, it it is but it's not as hard and intense as some of the other legacy of kane boss fights but legacy of kane is just all built around story and also those puzzles every dungeon is a puzzle like you see in uncharted where uncharted has you know it's it heavily revolves around puzzles so again yeah you absolutely see your fingerprints everywhere well it's a five game series like i mentioned and you know, there aren't very many like this. I wonder, like for you, how do you feel this story and the gameplay specifically has evolved over the course of them to keep it fresh? And do you, I couple of there's a couple questions that go along with this. Do you have a favorite? Is tied into this. I'm curious if you have a preference for one of the five games. And then also, have you played through the whole series or some of the series recently? And do you think that they hold up today? Okay, well, all right, so the, there's a lot to unpack. Um, so Blood Omen 1 was the top-down dungeon crawler game. So Soul Reaver 1 changed it to be this third-person adventure. But when Soul Reaver 1 came out, it was the most insane-looking game on the PS1. Uh, you could do things like when you're fighting a vampire, you can pick him up and throw him into fire. Or you can pick them up and throw them into spikes on the wall. I thought that was amazingly interactive. Or you can throw them in the water because water burns vampires like acid in this lore. And uh, so that was like, that was such a step up. But they still got the voice actors. The voice actors are very important to come back. Because if they had another voice actor be Kane, it wouldn't have felt like Kane anymore. But they got Simon Templeman to come back as Kane. And so like Kane is the main binder. And then Raziel, Michael Bell... Uh, becomes just as important in the series. Soul Reaver 2, it changed the combat up a little bit in the sense that you still had spears that you spike people with and you can, you know, still throw them into fire and whatnot. But the Soul Reaver gets enhanced in a way where in Soul Reaver 2, if you use your Soul Reaver, which you used to be able to use and then use as a kill blow in Soul Reaver 1 and Soul Reaver 2, if you start hitting someone with it, it'll just vaporize them. And then the Soul Reaver becomes hungry and starts draining your life. Yes. But doesn't matter. Like you get you run across that group of enemies where you're like, I'm taking you all down with me. I don't care. I'm gonna die and go into the spectral realm, but I'm vaporizing all of you. And so it, it happens and then just bam, 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 and then all of a sudden you die. So you have to be careful as to when you use it as a last resort, but they made the Soul Reaver a last resort kind of weapon. And I thought it worked well in Soul Reaver 2 with that. And then in Legacy of Cain Defiance. It was when Devil May Cry had come out, and so people really liked that fast-paced action, uh, that third-person action of, you know, like hitting with swords and then jumping up in the air and doing air combos. And so uh, Legacy of Cain Defiance kind of shifted in that direction. Didn't do it as well in combat as uh, Devil May Cry did, but I did like the fact that you can you had to feed Cain's Blood Reaver, but you also had to feed Cain. Like Cain had to feed on blood. But the Blood Reaver had to feed on blood as well. Raziel had to feed on souls. But, you know, like the, it's this, you had to balance. But the balance I liked most in Legacy of Cain Defiance is the fact that you played as Raziel and Cain. So it felt like these two sagas 
finally met, and they completely did in Legacy of Kane Defiance. Blood Omen 2 is it's the it's the sheep of the family it's the one that people don't really like talking about it really is all about development because they wanted to make soul reaver 2 and blood omen 2 in tandem with each other so they were developed at the same time and they came out very like quickly it was soul reaver 2 came out shortly after that blood omen 2 came out so development was it took place at the same time which means amy hennig and her creative team didn't have anything to do with Blood Omen 2. And it completely shows. And it's not just in gameplay, because I actually did like the stealth kill mechanic of Blood Omen 2, but it was an unpolished game. Like some of the animations would just disappear. A couple of the cutscenes just end before you even go into the next cutscene. And it's just, it was just, it felt incomplete. It was an incomplete game that they clearly rushed to come out uh, for the release of Soul Reaver 2. Um, so Blood Omen 1 and the Soul Reaver games and Legacy of King Defiance um, are the ones that I look on. They're the reason I have the tattoo on my arm that I actually have. Tattoo of the... Se- wow. That's yeah, some I, hardcore stuff right there. Yeah, it's Kane's symbol. It's, uh, you know, they, all the vampires have uh, those sashes and they have symbols on them. Well, Kane's sash has his, his clan's, his, his symbol. And uh, that's the one that's on my arm because just I don't know I just I just like I like Kane he's articulate he's smart he's he's motivated I mean the guy is not nice I like the he does grow as a character as the series goes on like especially in Defiance there's this moment that he and Raziel have where you're like you you do care about Raziel it's just you've kind of been You've been so keen to him up until this point, but he's been doing it. It's for the fate of the world kind of thing. It's like Raziel has to get put through the ringer to save the world, to save history, essentially. Um, but I always liked that Cain was someone who fought fate. And there's something about that I really love. Maybe that's why I like Terminator 2 as well. Maybe so. It's sort of <laughs> this is a fantasy, that's sci-fi, same kind of concepts there. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's a lot of... There's a lot of time travel and kind of just it, this can be a convoluted series, in my opinion, as I was trying to learn about it. How do you sell someone who's never experienced <laughs> this before on getting through those confusing parts in order to experience the totality of it? Uh, well, I mean, the, the confusing parts, I mean, if you just try to read Wikipedia or there's actually a website called Dark Chronicle and, uh, you know, you can go there and read the history. But it is daunting if you're just reading the history. But if you just play the games in sequence, you get the unraveling of the history as it was meant to come to you. So, uh, I mean, if I was to convince somebody about the game, I would just be like, look, Blood Omen 1 is a dungeon crawler, but it's the most thick with lore. Like that's the reason Blood Omen 1 captivated me was just the lore. You know, maybe I like the sprite art as well. I played through Blood Omen 1 uh, just because I told you about it. And I was like, God, I want to play Blood Omen 1 again. And so I played through Blood Omen 1 again and I, I had a great time doing it. it. It's not the most polished in terms of combat. The load times are not the, the load times are the big killer of that game. So prepare for load times. Um, but, it's a captivating, it's like a book, you know, like I always thought when I was growing up, would these lend themselves to movies? And I was always like, I don't know about that. There's so much in Legacy of Kane that would be so hard to translate to a movie. But I was always like a book, though, a book series would be amazing for Legacy of Kane. So if you just play through Legacy of Kane, if you're not captivated by the intro of Soul Reaver 1, then I guess it's not going to get you. But that intro was the most insane thing I'd ever seen at the time. Uh, and going through Soul Reaver game, uh, the Soul Reaver games, one and two, I don't know if you got to the point in Soul Reaver 2 that wraps back around to the intro of Blood Omen 1, but there's a scene that completely ties into Blood Omen 1. And it was the most bone chilling fanboy moment for me. I, I think I jumped up enjoy when oh, this moment awesome. happened i was like oh my god i can't believe they tied that in to the at the end of soul reaver 2 tied into the beginning of blood omen 1 and so 
I suppose I would have to pitch the game like I pitched it to you, which is just like it's a. Uh, it, you may feel it's dated in pieces, but if you want great lore that's worthy of a book series, it's Blood Omen. And if you're not carried by the story, if you're a person who needs more than the, the story and the lore to carry them, then uh, YouTube it. But I, yep. the Legacy of Kane series is worth knowing. I really do believe that. And it's incomplete. And it's a bummer that it's incomplete. And I don't think it's ever going to get finished. And it makes me sad. it's a bummer it's like that show that was just canceled before its time that never got a conclusion yeah yeah it really is that actually it's funny you said that because that is exactly what i was about to ask you that's my next question was what do you want to see in a new legacy of kane game one was in production for a while in the mid 2010s and it got canceled so what would you want to see, or would you prefer if they went this new popular remaster and remake route and, you know, made one of the existing games more modernized? Um, I would I would actually be cool with a um, a remaster and made it look modernized, but kept everything from before. Because I mean, Tony J, uh, the voice actor who voiced the Elder God and the Necromancer Mortanius in uh, in uh, Blood Omen One. He uh, he he passed away. He died, and uh, so he's no longer with us. And uh, I was talking with Michael Bell, the voice actor who played Raziel. I met him at the Emerald City Comic Con, and uh, I think it was Emerald City Comic Con. Yeah, it was. And uh, I was I was like, do you think they're ever going to make one? He was like, we're all just doing different things now. I don't think it'll happen because I mean, Tony J is no longer around. Anna Gunn, who vo- who voices Ariel. Uh, the specter at the pillar of balance. Uh, she she was in Breaking Bad. Uh, she was uh, Skylar White, and so he was like at the time I was talking with him. Um, it was still Breaking Bad was still on. He's like, so she's got other things she's doing. So I don't think it'll happen. So I don't think there's going to be a sequel. That remake, uh, what do they call it? A, a remake? Well, it was like a reboot, but it was a sequel. I'm actually weirdly glad that didn't happen because what I saw of it. With the dialogue, they didn't talk like Legacy of Cain. Legacy of Cain always had this very poetic, articulate way of talking. And I remember this this guy wakes up and he's like, "Oh, did I kill these people?" And this this spec this person that he only he can see says something like, "I did the bitch." And, and sorry, you can bleep that out if you want, but. It's like, I'm like, they didn't talk like that in Legacy of Cain. Yeah. Like, they, that's not how Legacy of Cain was. Legacy of Cain had violence, but it didn't have gratuitous language. The language appeal, the flair of it, was the fact that they were very poetic and articulate. And again, it was, uh, there was something vocabulary expanding about it. It was like someone would write a script. Then another person would come in with a thesaurus and optimize the script. And it's very high fantasy. High yeah. fantasy is the concept that I keep going back to because that's what it reminds me of Tolkien writing a vampire yeah. series. Absolutely. And uh, I, I feel like in today's day and age, people have a tendency to make entertainment that has to do with the zeitgeist of today. It's like, OK, let's make a game for Twitter right now and let's chase those likes and retweets, which will get you as far as likes and retweets get you. But Legacy of Cain was a more fundamental story of of humanity and life and balance. And it's the reason I cracked open The Count of Monte Cristo, the book, two years ago and read it. And there's a reason that that can resonate today is that it's not a book that was written for its time, in its time. It's a book that transcends in the sense of uh humanity you know there's a human connection that you can read today and still get from the count of monte cristo and i see a lot of uh i see games and entertainment these days that that have i don't want to say they've lost that but i i feel like they're more concerned with what will get traction today rather than a story that will not necessarily get all the traction today, but will be around in decades to come because it transcends the notion of the uh, the current zeitgeist of the time. 
So yeah. I feel like if they redid Legacy of Kane, it would lose some of that Legacy of Kane um, appeal unless you get Amy Hennig back. If she if she comes back for it, I I would be like I I trust her with this mm-hmm. property. But unless they can do that, I would totally be down with an HD remaster because I think the I mean the voice actors did a great job. Uh, remasters have done great for its time, and if you have that visual that visual elevation, it can help modern gamers kind of, you know, it can massage them into gameplay that might be a little dated, um, but they'll get, they'll, they'll be more apt and they'll be more likely to stick around for the story that will, I promise you, um, be with them in. for a very long time after it. Well, I was going to ask you, because you're a film critic, whether or not you thought that the series had movie potential, and you kind of touched on this. Oh. What, what okay. about, uh, 10 episode series on HBO. Yeah, I uh I did kind of touch on that. <laughs> what can I say? We're on the same wavelength, Baron. Um Oh yeah. Yeah, I I because when I was thinking, oh, a movie wouldn't necessarily work because they would have to cut so much stuff out, but a book would work. Well, now we've we've entered this world where you can have an HBO series or a Netflix series or an Amazon series, and that's kind of a norm. So that's something I didn't think about in the 90s that I definitely do think about now. I think Legacy of Kane does lend itself to uh, being a series. The budget might be a little intense, but The Witcher worked. And you see in The Witcher where it's like, this is definitely not the budget of, say, The Mandalorian or something. You know, that you can definitely tell where there is, they shaved the budget here and there in terms of effects. But if you think of Legacy of Kane, I wouldn't, I mean, Raziel would be intense in terms of visual effects. You would have to really, that would have to be a budget. But original Legacy of Kane, I think you, like Blood Omen 1, you could definitely do. And if it hit, then maybe you can move on to Soul Reaver and then you can get your budget because Blood Omen 1 did so well. But they were going to start, I think Blood Omen 1 would definitely be an amazing series. I agree. And not rush it. That's the key. I yeah. mean, and, and patience is... It doesn't exist in this world, but that's what you would have to have, right? You'd have to do Blood Open 1 as a 10-episode series and then allow it to expand and get into the depth because that's that's what makes this special, I think, for me. Like, hearing you talk about it, that's what sells me on it. That's what sold me on it, got me, like, to try the games. I didn't love the games. I'll be honest, like, going back to them, for me, I'm not a huge retro guy, and it was tough. But the story hooked me in, and even when I wasn't playing it, I went and I sought out the lore because I was like, man, this is good. And so I think like it's good because it's built upon and because it takes time. You can't rocket fire lore. It doesn't work like that. <laughs> you, you know, It's just not going to have the same emotional impact. It's not going to have people to the point where they put tattoos on their body because they're so into it. Right. And, you know, I, I give uh, Game of Thrones that it's like Game of Thrones knew that until Game of Thrones didn't. It's like, the I mean, the first season of Game of Thrones, you're like, I don't know half these people they're talking about. I, I, I don't understand this world. But it's like Game of Thrones understood that if we move on, you will revisit it and you will get it. You just have to give it time. And you're right. Rocket fire lore is completely the correct phrasing that is it's like if it doesn't hit in the first two episodes it's like all right moving on it's like you can't do that with something like this so i just i just hope that if someone does want to take this on they understand exactly what you said is that the lore is great but you gotta let it marinate and you gotta give it time but that's what makes something timeless you know it's like tempering a sword you have to take time and fold it and you got to like temper it and cool it and heat it and fold it. And then by the end you have this super strong sword, but if you just take a piece of metal and cut it in the shape of a sword, well, you have something that's going to snap, you know, like you can't do <laughs> yes. that. What a great analogy. That's hey, amazing. I, I try. I, ha- I have a moment. We're going to say that's a hall of fame. Well, man, I really appreciate you being here and doing this. Um, this has been awesome. It's been great getting to know your gaming history and um, some about what you love and what gets you passionate. I wanted you to, for those who don't know you, to plug your stuff. Where can people find your movie reviews and anything else that you do out there in the world? Uh, you know, it's funny. This is going to be the simplest plug ever. You can find me on YouTube. It's just YouTube uh, slash Jeremy Johns. 
um, or Jeremy movie reviews because John's is spelled a little differently than you might think it is. Uh, but that's really it. I read like uh, I was like social media is driving me to a really dark place of anger and and like it just made me not like humans and I like to like humans. So in my quest to like humans as much as humanly possible uh, for as long as possible, I don't have um, any other social media. I have Instagram and uh, YouTube, but YouTube is where you can find my stuff. Awesome. Yeah, it is pretty much easier with you because you're not a br- you are your brand. And so you're not like people can search for your name and boom, you're going to be the one that comes up instead of having to find, you know, go deeper than that. So and that's Jeremy Johns, J-A-H-N-S, for anyone who can't take the time to read it in the podcast title. (laughs) Well, listeners, if you like what you heard here, please subscribe, share us with your friends, follow us on Twitter and other social media. I do use those uh, still at the games we love. Or you can follow me personally at Aaron L. White. I'm also streaming on Twitch weekly, often open world games that I think are perfect for drop-in viewing. I'd love to have you follow along and come chat with me. It's a blast. I'm really taking to it. I just feel very comfortable in that space, and I've had some great conversations already. You can find me at twitch.tv slash Aaron L. White. Here on the show, we have more great conversations coming with some amazing folks, and you are not going to want to miss those. As a reminder, if you leave a five-star review on your listening platform of choice, it will also help us grow and get noticed and is much appreciated. Jeremy, thank you so much for coming on and talking to me and sharing your passion for this series with us. It has been awesome. Thank you so much for listening, everyone, because this podcast is for you. We'll be back next week, and until then, get out there and fall in love with the game. Thanks, Aaron.